Greetings in Jesus' name. As we have heard, our Redeemer. I think we could go home and be uh, have felt we have been fed. I really appreciated that, Ben. Um, you like that song, Our Father is Rich. I chose that song. I don't know if you noticed or not. I don't know where Ben is right now. All right, back there. Okay. <laughs> because that's my topic this morning. And um, the third verse, also the one that stands out, and the fourth I once was an outcast stranger on earth, a sinner by choice and an alien by birth. But I've been adopted, my name's written down, an heir to a mansion, a robe, and a crown. And a tent or a hut, why should I care? They're building a palace for me over there. So that's the topic this morning, actually. Um, I'm going to read a, a passage of scripture in First Peter. You can turn there, and then we'll have a time, a little time of prayer. So turn to First Peter, and we'll start at chapter one in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through the manifold temptation. Let's just pause for a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you what we have read from your holy word which Peter wrote down to those strangers, those pilgrims that are scattered about, that are in a hostile and a foreign world, Lord. He wrote, and we have read those words. And, Lord, they they are powerful, they are meaningful, they are real, they are true. We thank you, Lord, and we pray, Lord, you'd open up our eyes, guide us this morning as we look into your word. Pray that it may be applicable to us. We pray, Lord, that um, that as we look into your word, that not only do we become better persons, but our behavior comes and corresponds to the truth of what what you have, what you have given to us, and what you have coming for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together like this and to look into your word. Pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine you were a homeless person. That would have been pretty tough last night. But imagine you were a homeless person and you have no home and you have actually no hope for a home. And a wealthy home builder befriended you. Now he gets you a tent. He gets you a good tent, but it's still a tent. He gets you a tent to live in. Because you're homeless, you have no home. So it gives you a tent to live in. It gives you a place to live in. A place to put the tent so you can live in it. 
But he tells you, this home builder tells you he's not always, you're not always going to live in this tent. I'm actually going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a real house. It's a permanent, it's a big, it's elegant, it's a, it's a mansion. <laughs> and the day that your tent wears out, then you get to move to that new house. It'll be done. You will never be without a home. I promise you that. But there's a better home coming than what you have now. I suppose you can draw some analogies to that. We were homeless, and we heard that this morning, how we were homeless. We didn't have a home. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, we were without God and without hope in the world. We were homeless. But God, and we read it this morning, who is rich in mercy has begotten us again, and we now have a home. Now, what we have now is a tent. It's temporary, but we have a living hope for something permanent. Do you remember the challenge I gave to you a month ago in the last message, in verse 3. Does anybody remember what the challenge I gave you out of verse 3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and on there. <clears throat> okay. Well, that's good. And, uh, and repetition is the, is the method to learning. Is that right? I asked a question. Peter got to verse 3 before he finally burst out in praise. How long does it take for you in the morning to burst out in praise of what God has done for you? That's in verse 3. And... I haven't thought about it every day since I said it myself, but I do think about it. And I, we have been really told this morning what the Lord did and, and are basically I'm repeating what Ben said in that case. That we should worship and the question is, well, why should we worship? And here's the, that verse in the ESV. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again unto, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we were born again unto a living hope. Now, living hope is not a bad name for a church. Would you want a church that's named Dead Hope? Just think about that. What is a dead hope? A dead hope is something that doesn't, nothing, you have a hope, but if it's dead, it's like you come to a dead end. It doesn't go anywhere. A living hope is a hope that goes somewhere. It has an object and it has a destination. A little bit like a dead faith. A, a, a dead, a dead hope, and so uh, you know from from our from our traditional background, we've heard. Well, are you are you are you going to heaven when you die? Well, I hope so. Well, you can't know from that statement whether that's a living hope or a dead hope, because only only what we have read here, being born again, is there a living hope. And if it's not that, if you don't have that salvation, then it's a dead hope. Whatever you are hoping for isn't going, you're going to be disappointed. And why, why can we say we have a living hope? Well, there's various reasons, but in, in this context it says, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
it's because Jesus rose from the dead that we have the same kind of hope as we follow him and walk with him that the same thing will happen for us. In fact, and I'm going to read here in, in John chapter 14 and 2 and 3, Jesus himself promised his disciples just before he gave his life and died. He said, he said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He's told them, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am there, you may be also. So because Jesus died and resurrected and went back to the father, because we believe that, we also believe he's going to come in and take us again and get us again and take us. That's what he said. He's going to come and prepare a place. And in Hebrews, it talks about we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. And Peter here, it says we have an inheritance where he's taking us back to an inheritance. There's a living hope coming. So hope is an expect expectation for something Something that we don't have yet, but something better that we don't have yet. So I'd like to ask one question. What is the real world? Is the real world the 70 or 80 years we have here, or is the real world the eternity, eternal world? Which is the real world? Now, we have a chicken and an egg question. Not really. What do you think? Which is the real world? One, the other, or both? Yeah. <laughs> They're both real. This world is a real world. There are some people who actually think this whole world's an illusion. You just have it in your mind. There are some strange people like that. And sometimes we actually hear, well, this world isn't real because, but the fact that it is a real world. But the, the, the difference is between this world and the eternal world is this world is temporal. In fact, in compared to eternity, it is so temporal that some people say, well, it's not even real. But it is real. This one is short. The other one is long. Much longer than that. And this life seems long only when it's not compared to the next world. So we're going to talk about that. God's God's prophets spoke about this life. And I'm going to read a few verses here. Psalms 102.11. My days are like a shadow that declineth, and I am withered like grass. Psalms 144.4. Man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passes away. And um, I say my favorite one of these um, not a very nice verse, but it's a very profound verse. Job 14, 1 and 2. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. How's that for a start of a uh, psychology class? He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. And... Uh, the common theme in those three those three passages that I read is a shadow. You know what a shadow is? When the sun goes down, the shadow is not there anymore. It's gone. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and my age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Psalms thirty nine five. We're talking about what is the real world. The real world now is real, but it's short. It's temporal. It's, it's insignificant in comparison to eternity. So this life is real, but it's short. It's a few days and full of trouble. We're like a vapor. James says, we're like a vapor that appears for a little while, then we're gone from here. And where do we go? Well, that's what we want to talk about this morning. Where do we go to? Our life is short. 
If you are a Christian, if you are born again, as we have read here, and if you're walking in the Spirit, you go, in verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So I actually have to think about it this morning. Um, Ben talked about the past, the present, and the future. I guess I'll be talking about the future. Um, this, I, this is some of the thoughts I came up with, and it would be worth a discussion. We have three things that compare both temporally and eternally or spiritually um, what we have. We have gift. We have reward. And we have inheritance. Um, you might be able to shoot some holes, and there's a little bit of overlap, especially between the last two there, reward and inheritance. But inheritance is not a gift like eternal life is a gift. The first one, a gift. We'll talk about that. And, and reward is actually a payback for labor that's done. So inheritance, all three of them are distinctly different. Inheritance, and we read the word inheritance, to an inheritance incorruptible. Inheritance, as I'm going to put it, is something that we get by virtue of one's relationship with someone. When we talk about our father is rich and he has an inheritance, we're talking about an inheritance that is given as a legacy that a father gives to his children. And you get it by virtue of being a child, an inheritance. But let's talk about the gift, uh, the gift of eternal life. You know, you don't have salvation, the gift of eternal life. Uh, let me read a few verses for uh, Romans 6:23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of a God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we have that eternal life now, like it says in John 3:36, He that believeth on the Son hath, present tense, eternal life. Now, there's more coming in the future. And then First John 3.15 says it in the negative, And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So it all starts with a gift. And that can be likened to our... Uh, the second birth is a gift. The, the eternal life that God gives, when we repent and believe, God gives us a gift of eternal life. And that can be likened in natural life to our natural abilities. You are gifted. You have intelligence. You have strength. You have abilities. Most of us have five senses, and we we have um, we can function. We have emotions, and it varies in different people. But we're all gifted. Naturally, we're gifted. Spiritually, we're gifted. Our gift that we have. If we have the sound mind and we have the ability to work and labor, then we can improve our lot in life. By using our natural gifts, we, um, our intelligence and our abilities, there's an increase of some kind. Um, somebody, and I, 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 I couldn't find out who had this little list, but it was a little cute little list of things that people create. So I just thought I would say it, but I can't give the uh, 
credit to the person. Using our natural gifts, we create children and poems and cars and tree houses and novels and nations and plows and businesses. Just a scattering of things that you do with your natural abilities. And, and a careful um, use of gifts results in the increase of wealth be it relationships or skills or properties or business or status, there's an increase. By using your gifts, the reward is an increase. We're talking about the reward there. And uh, that likens to our rewards in heaven. If you are born again, you have the gift of eternal life, and you walk with God, and God, you have spiritual gifts, and you, by careful you you use those gifts carefully through careful and precise choices. You will be rewarded in eternity. Even a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple will not lose its reward. So you, you there's labors, there's losses, there's languishes, there's just everything you do for Christ because you are a Christian is going to be rewarded. Uh, these first two are like Hans Urs von Balthasar, a quote. <laughs> what you are is God's gift to you. What you become is your gift to God. That's talking about the first two, gift and reward. And then we have an inheritance. An inheritance is a little different. It's not a gift in a sense, like we've been talking about. In a sense it is, but it's a, it's a different thing. It's not a reward. It's not something you deserve because of what you've done. It's something that's bestowed to you by virtue of being on a wheel. If you are a child of God, then you are on his will. And he has an inheritance for you, each one of us. We're on the will simply by virtue of our relationship with the bestower of that will. Now, that inheritance we're going to talk about, that inheritance is like the bestower. Um, they match, they align with each other. And what, what did we say? Well, the inheritance is incorruptible, it's undefiled, it doesn't fade away, and it's reserved. And all those things, it just matches the father. The inheritance matches. And we'll talk about that more later. <clears throat> this is an inheritance worth getting. And I don't know if this plea is necessary, but I say don't fight over earthly inheritances. <laughs> there are those fights over earthly inheritances. They are not worth fighting for. This is an eternal world. There is a temporal world and there's the eternal world. There is a tendency that we have to see the temporal world in color and the eternal world in black and white. We should see the eternal world in color and the temporal world in black and white. It's just a matter of emphasis. They're both the same, but one has more emphasis than the other, and one inheritance is vastly more important than the other, to the point where the one becomes almost unimportant. Now, the question could be raised, well, aren't rewards and the inheritance the same? And you could almost make a case that they are, but I think a case can be made that they're not. They're not exactly the same. They are both future, and they're both eternal, and they're all glorious, both of them. You see, Peter is writing to Christians who are facing a very uh, facing uncertain times. This was the time of Nero. 
And he's, of course, he starts with the, the strangers that are scattered. They're, they're scattered. They're, they're not in a home place. They're not in a secure place. And some of them are being persecuted at this time severely. And others are not, not persecuted, but they, they are associating with people who are. I uh, just, just listened to a book about Roger Williams, and, and the reason I listened to the book that was recommended to me was because it has a lot of history in it, English history and the early history of this country, and it did. And what I, I learned some things, um, it wasn't just Anabaptists that were persecuted back then. <laughs> the nonconformists in England faced, um, yeah, if you didn't conform, they might cut your ears off. Okay, that's a malform of punishment, or bore your your tongue through, or um, you get, of course, severely whippings and a lengthy prison sentence often meant death. And this uh, this uh, the the scope of this book is in the the first half of the well, the last half of the 1500s and the first half of the 1600s. Banishment was was common, uh, property being confiscated. And there's a, a lot of other things they did, and, and some, well, the fact, not always real clear whether religious and political persecution was somewhat mixed up, so it wasn't always always religious. But they suffered a lot. And Peter refers to this in the next verse. We're actually not going to preach on this verse this morning. That'll probably be the next time when he says, Wherein, talking about your inheritance, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than the gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not facing that kind of persecution. Not now. But what Job said is still true. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Will you agree with that? We, we look for ultimate fulfillment and security, and certainty, and rest here. And we don't find it because it's not here, ultimately. We look for the perfect thrill or the perfect ideal and or ideal relationship. And for a short time, we think we might have it. And it always comes up a little short. And that's is intentional, I think, by God. And then we do face real uncertainties and we do face trials and struggles. There are things we don't know how to fix or what to do about. And then we experience those losses, death and health and youth and relationships and abilities. So on the one side, we're not being persecuted, maybe like Peter's were, but on the other side, our lives, our life is still hard. Life is filled with losses. But we aren't meant to stay here. We aren't meant to have ultimate fulfillment here. Remember, when the disciples were sent out two by two to preach the gospel, and then they came back and they were rejoicing, do you remember what Jesus told them? He said, rejoice not that the devils are subject to you, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, that's one place where Jesus says, don't rejoice. Now, that is don't rejoice is a comparative frame, a little bit like that you have to hate your family, you hate your wife and your children and your all those things. It's a comparative statement. It doesn't mean that you aren't glad that devils are subject to you and that you have victories in your life. You should be. But comparatively, your name is written in heaven is of vastly more importance than the joys that we have here. So it's okay to be glad what we have here, but not 
to settle down on those joys. They're not, they're not made for eternity. <clears throat> Our greatest joy is still coming. So whether the devils are fleeing in our presence or whether we are whipped or banished for his sake, either way we are to rejoice because of the realities that are coming to us in the next life. We have an inheritance promised. Now, I guess I erased this. I learned this in my studies that Peter uses three descriptions to describe uh, this inheritance, three different words, and they all start with A and they all end with the same ending. And so um, let me look at the scripture here. Incorruptible, undefiled, and faded not away. Incorruptible means, has, it goes like this, start with an A, and A means not. Uh, it's, if he, now I don't know, uh, maybe some of you actually know whether this was part of a song or a poem or something. I haven't studied that out, but that is the first one. It it uh it can't perish, it can't spoil. The second one is a and the third one it doesn't fade. Start again with an A. Those are the three Greek words that Peter uses, and I'm not gonna try to uh, torture your ears by uh, saying them. But I'd like to look at it a little bit more in in detail. There's an inheritance. We have a living hope for an inheritance. What is this inheritance going to be like? Well, it's incorruptible. It can never perish. That means it's permanent. That means moth, like we read in the scripture or other places, moth won't eat it, rust won't corrode it, thieves won't steal it. It is secure and it's not as you see in some um, statements at the bottom you see is subject to change, especially prices. <laughs> it's not subject to change. It's like God's word, what it's like. God. In fact, there, uh, Peter uses it again, the same word uh, in the same chapter in verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, that's the word of God, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, I found an illustration in the scripture that has uh, uses the same thing, but a completely different lesson. So I'm going to use it. You remember, uh, especially you ladies, are very familiar with 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. I'm going to read it. Uh, about the godly women whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, of wearing a gold, and putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, the same word. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. And so I'd like to ask you, ladies, and you don't have to answer, but what part of you is is uh, becoming corruptible and might be fading and will perish? The kind that you generally would adorn, right? That kind of you, your your beauty, your natural beauty, your youthfulness, your... Um, what we would call, um, I don't know what word to you, but you know what, the outside is going to fade. It's, it's going to get corruptible. Her natural, youthful beauty. But what 
is not corruptible. And that's the inner heart. And so the Lord says, that is what you should adorn, because that is not corruptible. Just thought as a, as a lesson, because it, it, uh, it lines in with here. Focus and emphasize that which is incorruptible, and don't emphasize that which is not. So our inheritance is incorruptible. It can never perish. Number two, it's undefiled. Undefiled means it is, it will, it is, and it will stay pure from the stain of sin and wickedness. The things that we have here, anything that we have here, isn't. Its its tendency is always to get defiled here. In other words, if the fall would not have happened, there would be no defilement. But everything in this world tends towards defilement. Um, Matthew Henry said, Sin and misery, the two great defilements that spoil this world and mar its beauty, have no place here. And Peter says later on in his next letter, We look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So this inheritance that we'll get is not going to be spoiled. It's not like fruit that gets ripe and then it begins to spoil. This inheritance will be ripe, but it will stay that way for eternity. And that fadeth not away. This is the third one. It's forever. On our wedding trip, we went out west, and we were at a little western town in Colorado, a mining town, uh, one of those days to recreate, uh, where you had a, a, a dirt street down the middle and old buildings on each side, and I don't know, probably Josh, some of you were all there already. And you could, at one of these shops along there, you could actually go in there and put old clothing on and take your photo. And we did that. We got them to take a photo, and we got a nice, I think probably a black and white photo. I think it was. Why have been black and white? Everything was old, right? But we also got them to take a picture of us with our camera. We had a camera along, a film camera, remember them. And we got a picture taken of that and paid for it and went on our way. And before we were home, we've seen this picture is starting to fade and I don't know how long it was, probably several months. All we had was a a white sheet of paper. It was nothing. It completely, completely faded. The only memory we have of that it was our one we took with our camera. We still have that one. That's good. Whatever reward you'll get here is going to fade away. It's not it's temporal. It's fading, but the eternal inheritance is never going to fade. Everything we see and know and experience here is going to fade. It's going to end. It will die. It will be no more. We're going to go over the hill, and sometime we're going to be gone. See, this world will always end up in some kind of disappointment, even ultimately. But that world to come will not be fading and it will not be disappointing. You see, here, we were going to have the perfect marriage, the perfect family, the perfect church, and the perfect job, and the perfect business. We were going to have it. But we have been, to more or lesser degrees, disappointed. And I get the question, well, how could it be? How could it be else than that? Because we live in a fallen world where everything is falling apart, but not there. On the trillionth day there, it will be just as sharp as it was at the beginning. 
Did you ever realize there's not going to be any honeymoon stage in heaven? Because nothing will ever fade away of your inheritance. There will be no honeymoon in heaven. Sorry, no honeymoon in heaven. But the fact is, I should say that there will be no honeymoon stage in heaven because it's eternal. So that's better. Wouldn't that what, be great? Have a marriage where you stay in your honeymoon your whole life? Well, that wouldn't actually have been good for some of us. <clears throat> we had some things to learn. But there we won't need to. So we have three three characteristics. It's um, incorruptible, it's undefiled, and it doesn't fade. And he says, and it's reserved. Reserved is not a qualification. That is simply a description of that inheritance. Of uh, what, what is that? It's reserved for us. It's kept for us until we arrive. It's like a crowded, crowded restaurant where all the tables are full, but there are this two chairs and a little table that's guarded. Nobody's sitting there because you reserved them. They're reserved for you. And when you come, it's, it's reserved. You have a place. You can walk past that long line. You can go right to your seat. You who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. So we at uh, that plate that that uh, inheritance is reserved for us because we are a child. We have a reservation by virtue of the relationship. And then the next verse, we're kept by the power of God. So our inheritance is secure. But we also are kept secure. I mean, what good would it be if we would have an inheritance that had all these characteristics, but we ourselves would be defiled or faded away and or not not make it not make it through. Peter is saying that Christians are kept and that that word kept is the word guarded. You are guarded, protected. It, our, our inheritance would be useless. It would be useless to reserve an inheritance for us if we would never get to the restaurant to sit down in it. You know, it's, it's no good. So we have an inheritance, but also on top of that, we are also guarded. How are we guarded? Well, 1 Corinthians 10.13. I mean, there's many ways you can you can uh, take this one apart, but you have there. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And uh, he's, these are the guarding, guarding words. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And the Lord said to Peter in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. We're guarded by God through faith. Through our faith, <laughs> believe it, trust God. See, the devil gives us difficult situation to destroy us. God gives us or allows us to go through difficult situations to strengthen and purify us. The same event. The devil has one intention and God has another intention. It's exactly like what Job had. Job, Satan wanted to destroy Job. That was his exact intent to destroy Job. God wanted to see Job shine. Same thing. But you can be sure of this, and this is where faith comes in at. With whatever you're going through, whatever troubles you have, whatever difficulties or questions or turmoils or Uh, uh, you just don't know what's going on, just remember this one thing. Trust God. 
He is faithful. He will take care of you. And you need to believe that. We need to believe that. I need to believe that. He says he will guard us. Uh, the Lord Jesus is at the right hand of the Father pleading for us. God has your best in mind, our best in mind. He disciplines, he purifies, but he guards. We do maple sap. Uh, boil down. We started to do it the last few years. And you start with you this big pan, this pan full, and it boils and boils and boils, and it goes down to there's hardly anything left. Now, there was a few times where we left that unattended, and it got burnt. It, the, the, the sap was spoiled. Be assured, God will not leave you unattended. He will not spoil you. He will not burn you. But what will he do? Well, he'll put that sap in there and he'll boil you down. Now, you're going through troubles and he boils you down. And there's not much left of you. And he keeps on boiling and he carefully watching that thermometer and he carefully watches it. At the right time, he takes you off. And you are as sweet as maple syrup. <laughs> Uh, metaphorically. That's what he's after. I'm glad he perseveres and pursues this because it's worth it. When you, when you take syrup down to its proper consistency, it is just good stuff. And God does that. He guards us to perfection. So trust the Father. We are kept, we are guarded by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So we are guarded unto salvation. But you might say, well, I thought we were saved. (laughs) We had a past, we were saved. But we're guarded unto salvation because what we have now is only a down payment. It's like a little boy who is his, there's a birthday supper coming. There's a good feast coming in the evening at supper time. But he is in the middle of the afternoon. It's three o'clock and he is really hungry. And so mama gives him a half a piece of bread and butter just to tide him till the real feast comes. Well, that's what we have here. We have salvation, but it's, it's only a piece of it. It's not the full meal. Uh, there is a salvation that is yet to be revealed. That's what it says here, ready to be revealed in the last time. <clears throat> but there is, and we have, we have enough to ease our hunger. We do. We have enough to give a taste. But the real steak and potatoes and cake and ice cream is still coming. And also I thought of every one of the attributes that we have is undefiled, um, doesn't fade away, um, whatever the other one was, um, corruptible, incorruptible. Everything in this world is exactly those things. I mean, they are everything in the world is corruptible and it is fading and it is dying. And this world, I want to say, is not reserved for me. And that's the thing I'm glad for. Unless you believe in the theology that the meek shall inherit the earth and someday will get it. Okay. Okay. It's reserved for you that way, but not this world. Tozer said that there are, there are two extremes that Christians tend to go to. And they said it's mostly a matter of emphasis. He said, some Christians emphasize the sweet now and now of salvation a lot more than the sweet by and by. They're not satisfied, he says, with the sweet by and by. They want something of the sweet now and now. And I'm talking again about emphasis. 
And that's why we come up with things like the prosperity gospel or the idea that if we serve God, we won't get sick. Or if we are sick, we'll get healed uh, or we're, or we're pr- promised success in our family or our business or our church or we're, we're going to take over the world. And there's an undue emphasis um, Some people put little emphasis or focus on what is to come, but most of it, what is, but what is, what we have here in Christ. And of course, the answer is to put the emphasis where God puts the emphasis. Some things we can have now. Some things we can have now in full, and some things we cannot have now in full. And there are then some things that you cannot have now at all. And we should not surrender anything that we should have now. We should not say we can't have it if we can have it now. But neither should we demand for something that we only are going to get in the future. We should not demand that for now. And if we, if we understand that, and I, I, I didn't come prepared with a lot of, with practical applications and just saying what Tozer said and it makes sense. Um, if we understand what God gives to us now and we take it, and of course we have the promises of the inheritance, we have promised he will guard us with lots of promises that we have now. And then we, some others, we only realize he's only going to give them to us in part now, the rest is coming later. And then some things we can't have at all. If we get those things straight, it'll settle, it'll, it'll, um, take away. A lot of the turmoil and anxiety if we get those things straight the way God does. And I'll give you the liberty to do that sometime to get that straight and share that with us. You see, there is no such thing as absolute perfection now. There is only relative perfection. All of our joy, we have joy. All of our joy is mixed with sorrow. All of our peace, and we have peace, is pierced with conflict and turmoil. We have some of those things now, but not in perfection and not in its fullness. They will come. The feast is still coming. There is no such thing as completion now. God has begun a good work, but he will complete it in the day of Christ. And absolute perfection is when, for the time when the sons of God will be revealed. And I'd like to read that in closing here. Turn to, um, turn to Romans chapter 8, and we'll read verses 18 to 25. Some things we can have now, but some things we'll be waiting on. Verse 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestations of the sons of God. Wow, what a statement. The manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And also in 1 John 3, 2 and 3, Beloved, Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, 
we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he comes, we'll be like him. And that is the state of completeness that every one of us is looking for. We have down payments of it. Even nature is going to be perfect at that time. Even nature is waiting for the sons of God to be made known. You know, today we have earthquakes and tornadoes, and we go to cleanups for the tornadoes in the south, tsunamis, and we have wicked people who take other people hostage, and, and we have sickness and disease. God is going to redeem the earth by redeeming people. You know, if you look on a, you go on a scenic mountain vista and you look out over the mountains and you just see the beauty and the grandeur of it, you know that those mountains and those valleys, they're full of bones, animals, and people that have died. Because this creation is still groaning. Everywhere, life, wildlife, and amongst us. But we have an inheritance that is coming that will have none of that. <laughs> none of that. It's basic one-on-one Christianity to say that what Paul, what Paul did for, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you look forward to a vacation? Of course we do. Why not look forward to heaven? To your real reservation. We don't need to fear death. Now, we might want to be afraid of how we're going to die. It might not be pleasant. I've never done it. I don't know what it's going to be like. And it might not be pleasant. But death is a graduation. Because then, at death, you get your inheritance. Because we're living in a tent. And when he says, the day your tent wears out, I'm going to give you your real house. And you say, well, I hope a tornado comes along. No, no, I don't actually do that. But the pilgrim has a living hope. Don't lose your accent. You ought to not feel at home in this world. And there was a song I'd just like to read, at least a part of it. If, I, if it sounds gloomy, rest assured it's not. It's just perspective, okay? Because that what, what, what God has done, the salvation he has given, we, have, we, we, we ought to get up in the morning and worship God and rejoice. And, 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 and I don't want to put away from that, but I, I'm, I'm looking at the other side now, okay? I would not live always. I ask not to stay where storm after storm rises dark over the way. The few cloudy mornings that dawn on us here, enough for life woes, full enough for its cheer. I would not live always thus fettered by sin, temptation without and corruption within, where rapture of pardon is mingled with fears. The cup of thanksgiving with penitent tears. And here's the real, real special part. I would not live always, no welcome to tomb, since Jesus hath lain there, I'll enter its gloom. That is why we do not need to fear the grave. Jesus went to the grave and conquered it. We can go to the grave. It is conquered. And that is special. <clears throat> then depending on your theology, the next part might not fit. There sweet be my rest till he bid me arise to hail him in triumph descending the skies. Who, who would live always away from his God, away from yon heaven, that blissful abode, where rivers of pleasure flow o'er the bright, bright plains and noontide of glory eternally reigns. There, saints of all ages in harmony meet, their Savior and brethren transported to greet. 
while anthems of rapture unceasingly roll, the smile of the Lord at the feast of the soul. The title of the message, in case you need one there, is um, The Pilgrim's Living Hope. There's a living hope that we have in our Lord Jesus. So may we, may we be encouraged to go on with him. Thank <clears throat>